Hey everybody, it's Adam Farkas along with Paul Farkas. Good afternoon, everyone. And welcome to another edition of OD Wire Radio. Uh, on today's show, we're going to be talking all about the American Academy of Optometry. And Paul magically has gotten us another great guest. I don't know how he keeps doing it, but he does. Um, so today we've got Dr. Carla Zadnik, who is, many of you may know, is an associate dean at the Ohio State University. But even more importantly, she's the president, the current president of the American Academy of Optometry. And she's here today with us to sort of talk to us all about the Academy. Um, particularly, you know, we have a lot of uh, younger folks on ODYR, thousands of them, in fact, who may not know too much about the Academy. So what we're hoping to do today is let everyone know what the Academy is all, all about and how it can actually help them in their careers. Yeah. And before Carla starts, uh, I, felt, I usually don't give a few words prior to any sort of a uh, broadcast. Uh, however, after being in the Academy for over 40 years, I feel that the Academy is the premier organization uh, of optometry. It is absolutely the gold standard. And I hope today we can put a more human face on it. Uh, one of the uh, feelings and, and misconceptions of many uh, practicing ODs is that the Academy is an elitist organization only for academics and research people. Nothing is further from the truth. So I hope uh, Dr. Zadnik will be talking a little bit about uh, everything that the Academy has to offer, and uh, that we will have many more people uh, joining up at the, at the Academy. Great. Uh, well, well, Carla, thanks so much for being here today. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. So why don't we start with sort of from base principles, um, very basic. How does somebody actually become a member of the Academy? So when someone becomes a member of the Academy, it's really becoming a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry. And it's a unique organization in optometry in that that doesn't happen simply by writing a check or by declaring that one wants to become a member, but there's actually an entry and examination process. So a person who is interested applies to be a candidate. They pay an application fee, or often that's waived if they join at a certain meeting or sign up at a booth, the usual thing. And then that begins their three-year maximum, three-year process. During that three years, then, they, they have to assemble a collection of 50 points towards their becoming a fellow. And, for example, if there's someone who create, completed a residency, then that would get them 20 points. If they have presented a paper or a poster at a past academy meeting, those are each 10 points. Everyone has to write at least one case report if they're coming in as a clinician, which the vast majority of our members are private practitioners, um, or they can write up to five case reports and amass their 50 points that way. So there are a variety of ways to get those 50 points, but they all involve um, what I would call some kind of scholarly activity, up to and including a case report of a patient that you yourself have seen, supervised, and examined for, uh, followed for a period of six months. Then, when all of those have passed muster and are complete, the person sits for a 30-minute um, oral examination by a small committee of their peers. So if one is a private practitioner, then those examiners are private practitioners. If one is coming in as a scientist, those peers would be scientists. And upon successful completion of that oral examination, then someone would become a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry. That would entitle them to use the words F-A-A-O after their name, and, and that's how they become a member. So, uh, so it's arduous but not impossible. So d during the uh, three-year period, uh, someone has already applied, 
Uh, can they call themselves anything? Are they just what? What would be their title as they're, a? They're, they they would call themselves a candidate. So if someone wanted to put that on their CV, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not seeing someone do it on their business card, but they would. They are called a. They're a member in the sense that they are a candidate for fellowship. Right. Okay. So now we we have the issue of students. Uh, can can students join the academy while they're in optometry school? Yeah, so students can become student members of the academy as early, quite literally, as their first day in optometry school. And let's say somebody chose to do that. They would pay a $30 membership fee, and that would make them a member of the academy for all four years of optometry school plus their year of residency if they do it. So I like to think from a student's point of view, it's about the best dues-paying bargain in the country. Um, if their school or college decides that they want all of their students to be members and they pay the fee for everyone. It's only $15 a student for that same membership. And in Boston at the meeting in 2011, we had 1,100 student members come wow. to the meeting. That was an all-time record. And at that time, we created what we call our student fellow program. So now student members can go through a process of attending a lot of different aspects of an academy meeting and end up being a student fellow, which would be something that they would be able to put on their resume as they are graduating from optometry school and seeking residencies or seeking positions. So I think student membership is alive and well in the academy in a way it never has been in the past. That's terrific. That really is something that I'm certain that most students really are unaware of and I would love to put that on our student forum to let them know well, about this. Can. We've also been um, on a campaign to get the students um, aware of the academy. The board has, um, over the past three years, instituted a program where one of our academy board of directors members visits a school every two years. So I just went to Puerto Rico. I'm going to Indiana next week. And so we've been on a real campaign to get our board members out in front of the students and make them aware of the academy in a way that they haven't been before. Right. So I guess um, from, from an ignorant position, which is one that I usually take, could you sort of, <laughs> <laughs> could you sort of break down the difference of, you know, the difference between the American Optometric Association, the AOA, and the academy? What are the, the big differences between the two organizations? Sure. So I think that we are collaborative with the AOA and vice versa, but they really, um, the two organizations fill fundamentally different um, roles. They fill different roles in, in the profession of optometry. So the American Optometric Association, as we know, we're a legislated profession, and they really work with advocacy, lobbying, um, the, the real political arm of the profession of optometry, access to patients, et cetera. The academy, on the other hand, represents the scholarly and research underpinnings of a profession and really seeks to have as its members optometrists who aspire to, to deliver the very the, the most excellent care that they can. Lifelong learners is often how we describe our academy members. Um, the academy's vision statement is today's research, tomorrow's practice. And I think the academy members firmly believe that a profession isn't really a profession without its own viable research program and underpinnings. So I like to think that the people who come to the academy learn through a variety of places what's happening today in ophthalmic research that they can translate into their practice and better care for their patients tomorrow. 
And the academy itself is really um, an apolitical organization as a result of that leaning. Right. And actually, you mentioned politics. I'm sort of curious. Um, on ODWire, we've gone over chapter and verse how the folks at the AOA are actually elected to their leadership positions. How does it work in the AAO? How is it the same or how is it different? I'm sorry. How what? How, I missed it. How does sure. what work? The, the, uh, how, what is the procedure that you use to actually elect leaders within the organization? Oh, okay. Yeah, so we have a nominating committee, and the nominating committee each year can nominate a slate for positions. Um, they interview all the incumbent members of the board. We have an eight-member board, and they would then nominate. They, if we had one slot open, for example, you know, they might only nominate one. But typically, we have four officers. So we have an immediate past president, a president, a president-elect, and a secretary-treasurer. Then we have four at-large trustees. Everybody is on the same two-year term. So every two years, the nominating committee decides whether the at-large trustee should be renominated, nominates at least one to fill the position because a, pres a past president is moving off, and then looks at the incumbent trustees and makes a decision about who should be nominated by the committee to become the secretary-treasurer and then, in essence, move up in the, in the officer rotation. In addition... Um, anytime anyone would want to, they could run from the floor for an at-large position. The nominating committee seeks to balance such issues as geography, gender, race, practitioner versus clinician, scientist, educator, and really tries to achieve a board across optometry that has a wide diversity of opinions, ideas, skills, experience, and um, it ends up being a pretty lively board with a lot of strong opinions that we don't always agree, but we always like and respect one another. Great. Right. So one thing the, uh, the average OD wants to know is well, what, what's the cost of, of an annual membership? So the cost is $325 a year. That's the membership dues. And, <coughs> excuse me. And that, that's the annual dues cost. That's oh, that's, that's in relation to uh, the AOA. That's really, really a bargain. Yeah, and I and I think the way to think of that is those different purposes again. The 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 one is is really um, protecting one's license and access to patients, third party payers, et cetera. And the academy is the promotion of this scholarly, research oriented um, agenda that keeps our profession alive and practicing um, state of the art. You know, and one, one value added that many of the uh, people in the academy don't really, I, I use it all of the time. In the old days, it was a green book that listed all the academy members. And now that I, I believe that you have something online that if somebody wants to know who's a fellow of the American Academy, uh, they're listed by their, uh, by their town and state. Is that, is that still That's true? That's exactly right. Yes, it's on the website. It's called the Fellow Directory. And we, for years, it really was partly, gee, you've got a patient that you're taking care of in Columbus, Ohio, and they're moving to Phoenix, Arizona, and you want to refer them to a fellow optometrist that you know practices optometry at the highest level. You could look up Phoenix, Arizona. There you would find the um, doctor's names who practice there, their practice locations. You could give that information to your patient. In fact, during the oral interview, one of the criteria that the peers use when they're evaluating someone for fellowship is, is this the caliber of optometrist that I would want to refer a patient to? 
So that fellow directory sees a lot of action, but primarily by practitioners as their patients move around the country. Right. And that, that is a tremendous, tremendous value added for a clinical practitioner. No question about it. So you mentioned that, that research is actually one of the, the big functions that the uh, AAO supports. We had a, a pretty good talk yesterday, actually, with uh, Mark Bullimore all about the, uh, the American Optometric Foundation, the AOF. Can you sort of speak to us about how the AAO and the AOF are related to one another? Yeah, so the, the American Optometric Foundation actually belongs to the American Academy of Optometry. It is the Academy's charity, if you will, um, but it is a charity that is unique in optometry in its support of science research, graduate students, residents, excellence among optometry students in, in an academic way. But it is, it is an affiliate, if you will, or, or really belongs wholesale to the American Academy of Optometry. So they are hand-in-hand, they are, um, hand, work very, very well together. The Academy Board sponsors um, a prestigious Azell Fellowship, for example. The, the Academy itself actually endowed that. Um, the Academy bears the cost the administrative costs of the American Optometric Foundation, which means that every dollar that someone gives to the American Optometric Foundation gets to go to the causes of the American Optometric Foundation, not to administrative costs. So it, I won't even say it's a sister organization. It's more, you know, it's more like a mother-daughter organization, if you will, in that the AOF um, it is, it belongs to the Academy. And we're very proud of it. You know, I, I notice when I go to the meetings, and I, I must admit, I never miss at the annual meeting of the Academy. Uh, That's great. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> but uh, when I go, I, I see a tremendous number of military people. Uh, is there a, a benefit for uh, the, the, uh, the optometry officers to be, belong to the Academy? Yes, absolutely. So public service optometrists, military, um, veterans administration, folks who in, in those venues, there's actually a system where them obtaining their fellowship, their SAAO, can assist them in their promotion and increase in rank as well as increase in merit pay. So at certain times in their careers, they're actually rewarded by their employer, if you will, for becoming a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry. And so the mil you're right, the military and VA presence at the meetings is high. If you go to the banquet where the new fellows walk across the stage, you see, I mean, it's, it's, if you're a patriot, it's really a, a very prideful moment because you see lots of our young men and women who are optometrists in service in full dress uniform walking across the stage at this fancy banquet. And I think, you know, perhaps what brings them to the process of fellowship is the promise of that reward from their employer. But I think they stay for the fellowship, the camaraderie, and the education that they receive by being a full-fledged member of the American Academy of Optometry. So uh, switching, switching gears for a second, um, can you speak to us a little bit about the Academy's journal and what, what that's like? And Because uh, I know that a lot of our our listeners may have actually glanced at it in the past, but if they're not Academy members, they might not have had uh, all the access to it that they wanted to. Uh, so um, the journal's name is Optometry and Vision Science, and it is, um, what do I want to say? It's almost in a renaissance. Twenty years ago, I think that in general optometry was suffering from not having robust scholarly archives of its research activities. And 
we revamped the journal, and now the journal is the top-ranked optometry journal in the world. It is in the top 20 of ophthalmic journals for the first time any journal has ever achieved that. Tony Adams, former dean of the School of Optometry at Berkeley and a former president of the academy, is its journal, is its journal, is the journal editor, and he is tireless in his enthusiasm. Um, the journal will probably top 500 um, article submissions this year, and it accepts roughly half of those. It's going to have a new online component, and we are very excited about the future of optometry and vision science. And I think academy members and, opt and general optometrists alike would find a great deal that will af affect their practice in a positive way as they start to read optometry and vision science. Well, now, you know, here's the question I'm going to have, because this is one of my nightmares, <laughs> taking the diplomate exam. <laughs> when, when, it's uh, not a nightmare, it's just a lovely dream. Yeah. <laughs> not, not when you can't find the room to go to and you don't have the patient oh, there. You no. know those dreams. <laughs> I do know those dreams, but mine aren't about the diplomate exam. They're about an exam from optometry school. <laughs> Uh, but uh, can you describe the, the various uh, areas of interest for uh, academy members that, that wish to hang out with others with a similar interest? Sure. So we have two programs, and I'll talk about the diplomate program first. So there are diplomate programs affiliated with the academy's sections. The sections are cornea contact lenses and refractive technologies, binocular vision and pediatric and perceptual optometry, uh, public health and environmental vision, optometric education, who am I missing, low vision, and I'm probably missing another one. And those have diplomate programs. So anyone who is a fellow can apply to be a diplomate in any one or more of those sections, and they would go through, that's a five-year process. Typically, they complete a written examination, a practical examination. They, some of them have, have the person write a major original paper, and ultimately an oral examination. And the diplomate process is, is rigorous, difficult. Most people who complete it say they learned, you know, it's not just that they proved what they learned, they also learned as they went along. And they are also provide names then for a directory. So let's say your keratoconus patient was moving from Columbus, Ohio to Phoenix, Arizona. You could look and see where the diplomates in cornea contact lenses and refractive technologies are located in Phoenix. Rigorous process, but really um, a distinction that once received is, is well-deserved and well-earned. In addition to the sections, then, we've just recently formed a different kind of little subgroup in the academy called special interest groups. Examples of those would be that we have one in aging, nutrition, newly formed in glaucoma, anterior segment, and neurooptometry, and that's a second place where people with a special interest in those areas could find a home and find like-minded people. Those don't have diplomate programs, but if any one of them achieves a big enough membership that they want to apply to convert to a section and create a diplomate program, they can those new special interest groups have just made us a little bit more nimble and so that we don't have to predict what the sub-areas of interest in optometry will be in perpetuity. So, you know, it might be silly, for example, to think if we still had a diplomate program in anisoconia, perhaps there, that wouldn't have much demand. But if there wanted to be a special interest group in anisoconia right now, 
that would be completely viable. So we have a lot of places where people with special interests can both find a home and then in the diplomate programs find their acumen well-tested and examined. And the other wonderful benefit, if it's a other diplomate programs are like the cornea contact lens section, they have a hell of a party. Oh, there, yeah. you know what? You get like-minded people together and you're going to be having some fun too. You bet. <laughs> I think the low vision parties are pretty wild too, from what I hear. <laughs> so, so this, so this actually brings us then to our, our final question. You know, the the academy meeting as we tape this is coming up very rapidly, and our question is: I know Paul's attended the last forty odd of them, but for people who who actually haven't gone, what's the meeting like, and how does it compare or contrast to other uh, optometric meetings? So the academy meeting, I always describe it as a ten ring circus. <laughs> this year, it is October 24th to 27th of 2012 in Phoenix, begins 8 a.m. Wednesday morning, and at any given moment, there are a variety of ways that an optometrist can obtain continuing education or activities for a scientist or an optometric librarian. Um, it has conventional continuing education lectures in one- and two-hour slots, but it has on the order of seven to ten simultaneous tracks in every topic you can think of. 75% um, of the lectures each year are brand new, so it's not as if you're going to something and hearing the exact same things from the exact same people year after year. At the same time, there are scientific paper sessions going on. So those are paper after paper that are 15 minutes long with active questioning from the audience on, let's say, optics and refractive error, binocular vision, cornea and contact lenses, ocular disease, you know, name your, your subtopic. Those also um, people who attend get bona fide CE credit for. And then at the same time, on many of the days, there are scientific poster sessions, which I always describe to the person who's never been as a great big grown-up science fair where you stroll by the posters, the authors are there for most of the time, you talk with the authors, there are then special symposia. This year there's an opening plenary session on autism from people outside the vision science and optometric communities talking about um, autism in our and its diagnosis and treatment in our world today. Uh, there are um, activities in the evening. It is really a nonstop meeting. I almost think we're getting to be a 24-7 meeting. And one of the slogans we use is all CE all the time. So you can't really get continuing education credit for going to the Australia party on Friday night, but that might be just about the only yep. thing that's exempt from CT credit. And you never have to pay for a meal. Well, I, the I sponsors, students, I, they're feeding I you all the time. If, if students go to the academy meeting and pay a dime for food, they're just not working hard enough. Well, There's also a robust exhibit hall. The exhibit hall um, is is a little bit different exhibit hall because it is focused on a place where people can go and see the latest technology. They can compare instruments across manufacturers, and the exhibitors come with an expectation that they will be doing almost more educating than selling per se. So even the exhibit hall has this very academic, scholarly feeling of excellence to it. Um, and it has become a very, very popular feature of the meet, of the meeting. So it's something that every OD, whether you're FAAO or not, should consider. Uh, just yes. Now the advantage to being an FAAO is that you just pay less money, a lot less money, to go to the meeting. And surprise, surprise, the difference in registration fees for 
fellows and members versus non is really the equivalent to a one-year dues payment. So it really pays to, to go through those yeah, three years. Yeah, how could you afford not to join, right? Yeah, and you know what? I, I just want to make a parting comment. Even though Paul only attends this meeting every year, I actually attend all the meetings all over the place all the time. And the difference between the Academy meeting and all the others that I can sense is that they're really, it really does feel like it's set up for the clinician by the clinician. The other meetings feel very much like the clinicians are peripheral to what's going on at the conference. That is very kind of you to say that. And I, I can't tell you how hard we work on the educational offerings. And for for somebody to have noticed and say it in that way, um, that's very, very flattering and gratifying. Okay, keep up the good work because there, there really <laughs> okay. it is a noticeable difference. You know, when you, when you attend as many of these things as I do, it's it's really quite obvious. Well, that that is those are those are lovely words to hear. <laughs> Carla, this is the uh, time to wind it up. Do you have any final okay. words to, to say to Well, just that I would love to see you all in Phoenix this year, and if that's just a little too close for your calendars to clear your patients and come join us, then we would love to see you in Seattle in 2013 and have you initiate your fellowship application so that we could congratulate you as you walk across the stage and use FAAO as a distinction forevermore. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Carla, and we look forward to seeing you at the show. Okay, thanks so much, gentlemen.